I've already been asked if people will be able to eat lunch after this message today, and I I believe the answer is yes. We'll see how God works within you. And I do find it quite humorous that I, of your associate pastor, compared with your senior pastor size and preaching on gluttony in the traditional service today. The humor is not lost on me in this. But as I was thinking and preparing, I believe we all can find a place within this sin of gluttony. One of the places that Jonathan and I like to eat on very rare occasions is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Savannah. We go pretty much all day without eating just so when we get there we can truly enjoy and we come leaving full and I almost feel so full that it makes me regret eating but almost regret eating. Then there are other times with my life growing up with my parents and when we gather together, um, we always enjoy meals and we sit and enjoy conversation and it seems when food's in front and conversation is happening, it's all just being consumed and before you know it, you're walking out overindulged. There's no doubt about it that we as Americans love our food and many of us especially me, love it a bit too much. The deadly sin of gluttony is a hard one to pin down because there's a fine line between our need of food and sustenance and the issue of overindulgence and excessiveness. There's an ongoing question of what actually makes gluttony a deadly sin. We have to eat to live But the question is how much we eat and how much concern we have over food. How much is too much? Or how much energy do we pour into counting calories, dieting, and self-control? When does gluttony give way to total disregard for those that go hungry? When does it give way to ridicule and shame that we bring upon ourselves or by others. Gluttony is derived from the Latin word glutier, which means to gulp down or swallow. Gluttony is the overindulgence and overconsumption of food, of drink, or of wealth items to the point of extravagance or waste. It is a misplaced desire for food that may result in ignorance or hunger among the needy. Originally, when the seven deadly sins were compiled by the desert monastics, gluttony was thought to have been a nice shorthand for all the sins of the flesh. After all, one of the things that tortured these desert fathers the most was a desire for a good meal. In today's context, perhaps, gluttony still qualifies as a deadly sin because where there is gluttony, there is usually disgust, the terrible mourning after the nocturnal binge. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes there's nights where you just can't find yourself sleeping, so you randomly flip through television. And I came across several years ago a show that just stuck with me. Maybe you've seen it, Man vs. Food. Anyone? 
the young man named Adam travels throughout the United States finding restaurants to off, that offer challenges to their customers on how much food you can eat. He sets out to win and prove that he can stomach the most food or the spiciest dish or go where no one else has gone before. And one particular show, the goal was to eat four big ugly burgers, as they were called. A big ugly burger is a bun with a 22-ounce patty followed by lettuce, tomato, and of course, cheese. So the goal, if you ate just one big ugly burger, your picture was placed on the wall. If you ate two, you got a headshot on the wall. If you ate three, and only six people at the time of filming had accomplished this, had a poster of themselves on the wall. And if you were able to eat four big, ugly burgers, they would give you a life-size cutout to symbolize your victory. Do we still question the issue with gluttony today? We could argue that gluttony as a sin goes back to the very beginning in Genesis. Eve was tempted by forbidden fruit. It was a delight to the eyes and good for food. Or what about Jesus? When wandering in the desert after his baptism was tempted with food after 40 days of fasting, Satan meets him and says, turn these stones to bread. Therefore, making hunger the door to where the devil enters. Yet one of the earliest criticisms of Jesus and his followers were that they ate, and they ate a lot. People were critiquing them, saying that John the Baptist's followers fasted, and Jesus' followers ate and drank, and with prostitutes and tax collectors at that. Jesus was even accused of being a glutton and a drunk in Luke chapter 7. As one of my seminary professors used to say, Jesus loved meals so much, he became one. And not to mention, there are many meals in scripture and so much importance is attached to them. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper where we eat and drink the bread and the juice and take the life of the broken body, the bread after the resurrection. We could argue that the entire gospel itself is one of table fellowship where we are all invited to partake of the feast. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who gave a feast and invited his friends, is what scripture says. Some of our richest and most memorable times are around good food, good company, and conversation. I believe at times humanity is at its best when we gather at the table together. Even in the ancient world, much of life revolved around food, Scripture is full in the Old Testament of concerns about what to eat, what not to eat, how to even eat the food. The Hebrew people had strict food laws they had to follow. There was a question in the early church of whether or not early Christians were to eat meat sacrificed to pagan idols. And of course, the question remained of what is clean or unclean. 
For the faithful Jew, every meal is a religious occasion, an event that brings with blessing acknowledged food as a gift of God. Therefore, to abuse food is to abuse one of God's good gifts. And what we eat should reflect the purity of our heart and our souls. There's another passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. The story of a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man would eat in the face of great need of Lazarus, who was sitting outside his door with sores and would go hungry and would gladly have eaten the crumbs that fell from the table. They both pass away and in the next life, the rich man faces punishment for his gluttonous behavior while Lazarus finally gets his fill. If anything, this text reminds us that gluttony is more than just self-indulgence. It is also about how we are often blind to the need of others in a world where millions go hungry. When the gut becomes more important than the soul, more important than sharing what we have with others, more important than caring for the body as a temple, then we face what makes gluttony such a deadly sin. It also is important to note that gluttony doesn't just mean excessiveness, but also our excessive attention to food. Just as there is danger in overindulging, there is also danger in being overly concerned about food and fixated on it rather than the amount. We can pick at our food, count calories to the extreme, and become obsessed with what we eat. There's always the possibility of doing harm to ourselves physically and emotionally. I think about the number of young women in this country who suffer from eating disorders, poor body image, and issues of control when it comes to food. When not properly managed, food can overtake our lives and have severe impact on the way in which we live. It becomes an obsession that we cannot overcome. Perhaps it's really true that we are what we eat and how we eat it. I myself have struggled in the thought of gluttony, the manifest of the excessive attention. I remember as a teenager standing in my kitchen one afternoon and a family member came by and jokingly said, it looks as though you've gained a little weight. My mom, who happened to be standing there, quickly reprimanded this family member for making such a comment, but... Nevertheless, comments like that stick with young girls. And over time, a complex can develop. Not to mention the struggles that all of us face with advertising, magazines, an image of the ideal and perfect form that has become the norm in our culture. We think that there's a fine line with being concerned with our health and being overly concerned with it for negative and selfish reasons. Gluttony continues to make this list of the seven deadly sins because it seems that out of the seven, it is more condemned, feared, and forced upon us than any of the other sins, though not feared as a sin. Here in the United States, we associate gluttony with ugliness, overindulgence, guilt, 
and shame. Obesity has become one of the most judged and reviled conditions in our country. Approximately a third of all Americans, or 63 million of us, are overweight. It is estimated that 250,000 deaths are attributed to poor diet and inactivity. 50% of cardiovascular disease is related to excessive weight, and we spend as much as $50 billion a year on dieting. That's more than we spend on education, more than we spend on training, employment, and social services. We spend more on dieting than the gross national product of Ireland. To make matters worse, a recent study showed that 11% of Americans would abort a fetus if they were told that this fetus would have a tendency toward obesity. Elementary school children say that they are more judgmental toward the fat kid in class than they are toward a bully. Studies have shown that an overweight person is at a disadvantage in being hired for a job compared to someone who is not overweight. Overweight persons are one of the most judged groups in this country. Do you think you don't fall into this type of prejudice? Just think of what your reaction would be if you were seated next to a larger person on an airplane. I think it's ironic that we live in a society that says be good to yourself. But when it comes to food, we have a guilt and a shame complex like we do for nothing else. Gluttony has become a sickness, whether our tendency to overindulge or our tendency to be obsessed with what we eat and how we eat it. Gluttony is our being overly concerned with how we look or how we perceive others. And it is possibly laid upon us by our mothers who perhaps showed their love through apple pies or through psychological, hormonal, and environmental factors. In today's world, perhaps our condemnation of gluttony comes from the fact that it is remarkably external. Someone who commits the sin of lust could go on his or her way and not be found out while the glutton is exposed for all to see. So we are careful to avoid the sin of gluttony. And this says that we are more concerned with externals than internals. That we care more about the state of our waistline than the state of our souls. Anytime we make the belly a God and obsess over it, we worry about it too much, positively or negatively, would be considered gluttony. It is not only self-abuse, but as abuse of our relationship with God and how we view the status of others. And in our world of immediate satisfaction and gratification, we often find that when we overindulge, we feel a tinge of guilt or shame because perhaps we are full of hungers that we attempt to assuage in a way that brings us, our neighbor and God, to grief. But the good news, the good news about wrestling with this sin, wherever we are on the spectrum of what it entails, is that it is a sin that we can easily work to overcome. We overcome it by recalling that our bodies belong to God and are meant to honor God. We overcome it by remembering those who go without, that we might be willing to share out of our own abundance. 
We overcome it by giving thanks to God who came to us in the flesh and who brings us a new, holy, and divine meaning to the human body, who comes to us as the bread of life that we will never hunger and thirst again. So whatever our struggle is with gluttony, I believe it's time that we name it and refocus on our health, wholeness, and not just the state of our waistlines, but the state of our souls and how God is using us. It's time to eat our fill with the right things that give us physical and spiritual nourishment for bodies and souls. We face the sin of gluttony head on so that we will not cease to notice the Lazarus who gather at our gates. And thanks be to God who offers his life-giving bread and his very body that we might hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where are you in this spectrum? Where do you find yourself in this sin? Is it the obsession of food itself? The calories that you consume? Or is it the neglect of those around you who find themselves hungry? May we seek the righteousness of God and live what he's called us to. Will you join us as we pray? Mighty God, you've brought us to this place to know of your great love and to experience your presence among us. Challenge our hearts and convict our minds that we would serve you with faithfulness this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.